Welcome to the Victory Orlando Church Podcast. We are so glad you decided to join us. We want to help you to know God, find freedom, and discover your divine purpose so that you can make a difference with your life. We pray this message encourages you, inspires you, brings you hope, and builds your faith. I want to start a series of messages called Dead Man Walking. Come on. Look at somebody sitting beside you and say, Dead Man Walking. I grew up uh, with uh, watching WWE and The Undertaker, anybody else, and he would come out and all that kind of stuff, but he's not doing that anymore. That's not what this is from. Um, I actually almost called this series Escaping Weekend at Bernie's. Anybody seen that movie? Uh, if you haven't, this is not a recommendation to go watch it. Uh, you know, probably not the best thing to watch, so, uh, but... If you haven't seen the movie, it's a story about two guys that get invited to their boss's house, beach house for the weekend. They show up at the beach house and only to find their boss has been murdered. And so instead of going and telling people that what has happened, they decide to carry around his dead corpse with them and pretend like he's alive for the weekend. And it's kind of a morbid and you know, like, that's kind of disgusting. If you really think about it, I know that the world, what they do, they try to they twist things that are uh, dark and try to make it funny. Um, but it's kind of a gross idea to carry around a dead body with you pretending that there's life in it. But God really spoke to me uh, a, a while back, and he said, uh, my sons and daughters, many are living this way carrying around some dead things in their lives, pretending that there's life in it. When in fact, God has not called us to live with dead things. He's called us to live in life. Jesus came to give us life everlasting, right? And uh, so I, I wanted to share this whole idea of dead man walking. And when I was praying about this, like, okay, God, like, that's kind of um, that's an interesting way to put it. We've been carrying around dead things. We have his anointing. We have his calling on our lives. Many of us know what God has called us to do. We know our giftings and we've either pushed it to the back or we've been hiding from it or we know, you know, as many live that way. Others are out there putting it all out there and, and there's still all the good and all the bad is out there and everybody knows it. Like we have some good things in our lives, but so many of us have these dead things that we've decided to keep for some reason in our lives. We've been saved. We've been set free and yet we remain in some dead things that never give us life. And as I was praying about it, God, how do I communicate this in a, in a life-giving way? How do you want me to share this? And he brought me to the scripture in Romans chapter 6, verse 11. Anybody got their Bible with you today? Okay, it's, a, it's okay to bring your Bible to church. It's okay to shout a little bit when we make some noise, when we open the Bible. We're excited about it because when we look into the Word of God, it begins to reveal in us who we are. It's alive and powerful, and so we love the Word of God around this place. Romans chapter 6, verse 11, this is what it says. It says, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ. Another version says, consider or view yourself as dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ. Today, I want to share a message called Alive to God and Dead to Sin. That's the reality of who you are, of who God has called you to be. That's the reality of why Jesus came. Did you know that Christianity is not about making bad people good? Jesus didn't come to alter your behavior so you felt better at the end of the day. Christianity is all about dead people being alive now in Christ. That's what Christianity is all about. That's what Jesus came and did on the cross. Come on, Scripture says, Romans 3.23, we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's no perfect people. We're not even talking about being perfect. We're not talking about being right all of the time. No, we're talking about how do we get our lives in alignment with God's word so we can live what some of these Bible words are. So how do we live holy? How do we live in a righteous way? That's what we're talking about, right? None of us will ever be perfect. So Take the, take the pressure off of yourself. Like, but but you, can go, you can go without sinning over time. Come on, you don't have to sin every day. You don't have to, like, we will, there will be times where we will miss it, but praise God for his grace. Praise God for his mercy. Amen? 
There's a difference between continually living a lifestyle of sin, knowingly living in sin, and living a holy life and then missing the mark, and God's grace is there. Come on. We're dead to sin, but alive unto God. Jesus came to set us free from sin. The reality is that before Jesus came, we were powerless against sin. We were dead in sin. We were, Scripture says, we were controlled by sin. And I want to look at this, this text today, Romans chapter 5 and 6, and really just kind of try to unpack this whole idea of what does it mean to be alive to God and dead to sin, and what does that mean for our lives? And uh, if you read these two chapters, Romans 5 and 6, you'll, you'll read uh, the words of the Apostle Paul. He was writing to Christians in the city of Rome, uh, writing them, teaching them about how to live their lives for God. And in chapter 5, uh, he really spends a lot of time talking about how we got to this place where sin was ruling over people, right? It says this in Romans chapter 5, verse 6. He says, you see, at just the right time, when we were powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. So you weren't a good person when you met Jesus. Sorry. No one is good except one. His name is Jesus. He says, we were powerless against sin. We couldn't do anything about it. We couldn't bridge the gap between us and God. Right? He says, but at that time, come on, that's a good time, when we couldn't do anything about it, when we were lost, it says, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. That is a good place to give God some praise. Come on, let's not be quiet in that. Let's give God some praise that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. The Apostle Paul, he's, he's trying to explain to us and help us to understand this reality of what happens in us when we receive Christ. What, what's taking place in your life the moment that you say, yes, to Jesus. He says, you, we were lost in sin, but Christ died for us. And then he would go on to explain, he said, through, through Adam, and he's talking about Adam and Eve, all the way back at the beginning of the Bible in the book of Genesis, how God created Adam and Eve in the garden, and he, he created everything. He gave them everything they would need, all the animals, all the food that they would need. He said, you can eat of every tree, but don't eat of this one tree. We know the devil came in the form of a serpent, tempted Eve, deceived Adam. And it says, through that one man, Adam, sin entered the earth. So when God created Adam, sin did not have a place on the earth. It wasn't present. Adam was free in the presence of God, right? But then when he disobeyed God's laws, he broke God's commandments, sin entered the picture. And it, he, Paul describes it this way. He said, sin had dominion. It had authority. It had control over every person on the earth. So that's you and me. So every person that's been born since the first person was created has been under the control of sin. We have a sinful human nature. That's what he is saying through that one man. But then he goes on and he said, even though sin came through one man, he says, then through the one man, Jesus, the grace, the mercy of God came through death and resurrection. So sin came through one man, but then the power of sin was broken through one man. Isn't that amazing? So he goes through and he's explaining this in much more detail and much more eloquent words than, than I would use. He's, he's explaining the free gift of God for us. You know, don't let anybody ever tell you that God is not good. Come on, the, while we were lost, God didn't have to do it, but he saved us. He set us free from the control of sin. He made it a free gift. He doesn't force anyone to receive salvation through his son, but he just makes it available for anyone who dares to believe, anyone who is willing to give their lives to him. God is good all the time. Amen. Listen, God is not your problem. God doesn't send, uh, you know, like hurricanes are not an act of God. Okay. Scripture says every good and perfect gift comes down from our heavenly father. Like uh, uh, he is for us and not against us. God is good. So then we, we arrive at Romans chapter six, verse one. He says, what shall we say in the light of Sin came through one man, but redemption, sanctification, salvation came through another man. He says, what shall we say to all this? Shall we go on sinning 
so that we can receive more of God's grace. In other words, should I continue to keep this dead man with me, pretending there's life in it? Should I continue doing whatever I want because God's going to give me forgiveness because God will forgive me. It'll be fine. No big deal. It's okay. God's grace will be there for me. God will forgive me. God loves me. He says, by no means, absolutely not. We shouldn't think that. He said, we are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? How can we continue to live in something that is dead? There's no life in it. You know, there's no life at the end of a bottle. There's no life at the end of a rated R movie. There's no life in pornography. There's no life in that relationship with that person that's been flirting with you at wherever. No, there's no life in sinful things. There's no life in pride. There's no life in outbursts of anger. There's only destruction in those things. Like, you're not meant to live in those things. You've been made alive unto God. He said, since we've received this life of God, how could we continue to live in sin like it's normal? It's not weekend at Bernie's. Right? I don't know, anybody ever bought a house before? I just bought a house last summer, praise the Lord. And uh, if you've ever sold a house, anybody? Anybody? Everybody's out there today. Y'all are quiet. Come on. Uh, if you've ever bought or sold a house, you know it is a crazy process. You know, there is so much paperwork. There's so many people asking you intense personal questions, you know, things you don't even tell your dog about, they want to know about. And uh, just it just takes so long and all this kind of stuff. And it's amazing, the process. But what's awesome is when you finally get to the closing table and you're done signing the papers. Everybody's signed and everybody paid and all that takes place, what happens is that the ownership of the house passes from the seller to the buyer. And what the seller used to have control over, used to have the say over, he has no say anymore. In fact, the buyer now has control over the property. Anything in or on the property now belongs to the buyer. And no longer is the seller there. The seller doesn't even have a right to be in the house anymore. But imagine moving day with me. Anybody moved into a house before you? Roll up with the family, with the moving truck, you know, the U-Haul. And everybody's there. You're so excited to go in. You got the keys. You get that first box off the truck. You're going into the house. Open the door and you go inside. And the seller is still in there with all their stuff. Like, hey, welcome home, guys. You'd be like, no, y'all are gone. Get out, you know. How crazy would it be to be like, no, you guys just go ahead and stay. We'll just, we'll just live here together. Your stuff, my stuff, we'll just set it side by side. It'll be fine. Uh, we'll just pretend like everything's cool. Like, no way. <laughs> that would be crazy. Please don't do that. Like, when you buy a house, it's yours, baby. Move in. Make sure nobody's staying behind. But that's really the picture of what Jesus has done for us. See, we used to be owned by sin. Because we were in that place. But then Jesus came and he paid the debt of sin. He bought our lives. Scripture says you are not your own. You have been bought with a price. You are no longer belonging in this place of sin. So when Christ moves in, it's not so that sin can stay there too. That would be crazy. Right? We've been set free from sin. This is what it means to be alive to God and dead to sin. We are uh, uh, no longer staying in that place. He says, we've died to sin. How could we live in it any longer? Verse 3, he says, or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? So now he starts getting deep. So I want to I slow down a little bit and I want to just kind of teach for just a minute. Is that okay? Can we hang? Can you all hang with me? Right? Because he gets kind of a little deep into kind of understanding like behind the scenes of what's happening when, we, when a person is, receives Christ. He says, we've been baptized into Christ and baptized into his death. So what he's talking about here is not water baptisms. There's actually three baptisms that are taught in the scriptures. There's baptism into Christ, which is the salvation experience. 
right? There's water baptism. We, we have water baptisms regularly here at the church. That's where w- what's happened on the inside of us already, the salvation process has happened. We are m- making an outward statement of what has happened on the inside of us. That's water baptism. The third baptism taught in Scripture is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's where God's Holy Spirit comes upon you with the evidence of speaking in tongues. Okay, so there's three baptisms that are taught in Scripture. Here, he's talking about baptism into Christ. Or when you receive Christ, you receive salvation. He says you're brought into Christ. He says you're literally baptized or brought into the death of Christ. Now, that's significant because the wages of sin is death. Okay, so don't forget that. He says we're baptized, brought into the death of Christ, right? Here's the thing you got to understand is that your spirit, which is the real you, will be brought into death one way or the other. You'll either be brought into death to pay your own sins or you will be brought into the death of Christ where your sins have been paid. There's only two options. You want to pay for your own sins and you're brought into death that way and you are eternally separated from God. Good news. You don't have to pay for your own sins. You can be brought into the death of Christ which paid for all sins and then you can experience eternal life always in the presence of God. Those are the two options. Your spirit will enter into death. Here he's saying when you give your life to Christ, you're not just saying a nice little prayer and that's the end of it. No, he says literally what's happening is your spirit is being brought into death. It's almost like the picture of water baptism where you go under the water. It's that visual representation in water baptism. Like Just like Christ went into the tomb, you are going under the water into the tomb. Right? You're brought into his death. Right? He says, verse 4, he says, We were therefore buried with him through baptism. This is not the water baptism. This is the baptism into Christ. Into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead for the glory of the Father, we too will live a new life. Come on. Are you getting this today? When we receive Christ, we are not just brought into his death, but then we receive the resurrection life of Jesus in our spirit, in our bodies, in our soul, your mind, your emotions, right? So that's why for a Christian, depression, anxiety has no place in you. It is a dead man trying to hang out in a place where there's life. Preaching 87% better than y'all are amening today. That's okay. I'm going to give you all I got. He says, we're brought into the death and then we receive the resurrection. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. Come on. Then he gets a little more specific. He says, for we know that the old self, B.C., before Christ. Come on. The, you know, the, the, the wild child. Before Christ, that person was crucified with him. Get a picture of that for just a moment. Remember the scene of the cross? Jesus was whipped, beaten, crown of thorns, nailed to the cross, hang there to die. He says, the old sinful thing in you that likes to come and remind you, remember how bad you were, remember how you didn't get it right, remember when, back when... That, that sinful part is dead. It's been crucified, nailed to the cross so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with. It's no more that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, remember when we said we were brought into the death of Jesus. Like you have been brought into death. Through Christ. So now you have died and you have been brought to life in your spirit. So now you've been set free from sin. Are you seeing this today? Come on, this is who you are. We're alive to God. We are dead to sin. You've been brought into his death and in his resurrection, you've been set free. And and again, this is not about meaning I'll never mess up. This is, not, this is not about that at all. This is just about realizing who I am in Christ. This is about realizing I've been set free and, and made right. It's, it's really about my standing before God. Understanding that when I miss the mark, I don't have to run and try to get saved again. 
Come on. Right? God loves you. You're his son. You're his daughter. And you've been set free. I don't have to be controlled by those desires. I don't have to be, uh, uh, I'm not obligated in those ways. I have come to experience freedom. And when I, when I have this understanding that, uh, uh, that, that I'm free from sin, that God sees me as a son, he sees you as his sons and daughters, I can come boldly for him. When I do miss the mark, then, it, then it's not a, a, like I, I don't have to wonder where I stand. I can come to God and say, God, I thank you for cleansing me. I thank you for making me whole. I brought this glass today. And uh, glasses are great for putting drinks in there and drinking, you know. And, and I don't know if you're like me where you like to have, the, like, the same cup throughout the day. Anybody else? Some of you all, like, uh, get a new cup every time you get a new drink, whatever. But, you know, uh, uh, get, fill up my glass, take it with me, drinking it, you know, fill it up again. And that's fine. But how crazy would it be if tomorrow I just grabbed the same cup off the counter and used it again? Put it in more. And then the next day, again, I just keep it with me, take it everywhere I go. And just day after day, I keep using the same glass. And somebody just probably threw up in their mouth a little bit, and that's okay. That would be super gross. You know, just if I were to take this cup places and just by the nature of using it and filling it with things and drinking out of it, it's just going to get dirty. And the more that I use it and I never clean it, at some point there could be a possibility of infection or disease coming into my body through something that was put in there that is good. Sometimes this cup just needs to be cleaned. It just needs to be cleaned. Just, need, just through the process of using it for what it was for, it needs to be clean. And this is really what our lives is like. Listen, if you are a son, if you a uh, daughter of God, you've given your heart to Christ, like this is your life. And God is filling you up all the time. And just through the process of living life and going about things, like sometimes we just need to be cleaned. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12 says, lay aside the, the weights and the sins that so easily entangle. You know, if you're a person like me, sometimes the worries just come. And just going through your day, you just feel like, man, I'm just kind of concerned about this, worried about this, or, or whatever it is. You know, like we, we miss the mark in some other area. And just, just sometimes we just need to come to God and be cleaned. That's why scripture says God is faithful and just when we come to him to repent. He says not only to forgive us, but to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Come on, we just need to be cleansed. And when you understand that that's who you are, you can come boldly to him and be like, God, I, I just missed it. I'm so sorry. Thank you for forgiving me and cleansing me and restoring me. You know, God is not going to be like, you are bad. You know, like, like when we miss it, we can come to him. Now, there's a difference between, between living like that. That's living holy. Holy is, is not a Bible word for perfect. Holy is the Bible word for set apart. That's what it means, to be set apart from common use. We're called to live holy. We're called to live righteous, right? See, the, this whole idea of trying to be perfect is really, is really legalism. When, when people talk about legalism, they're talking about, I, I have to, I better, I'm obligated. Or, or even the other side, you better not, you know, or, or whatever. That's legalism. And when you understand, like, no, I'm good. Like, I am, I'm righteous for, before God. I, I'm not perfect, but God loves me. He forgives me. He cleanses me. That's what the grace of God does. That's why it exists in your life, because on your own, you couldn't do it. You'd just be messing up and sinning all the time. But the grace of God comes on your life and empowers you to do what you couldn't do before, which is to live holy, to live righteous, to live differently than everything else. So legalism is I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to try to do this on my own and God will let you know what I need your help. No, no, that's not freedom. Freedom is not doing anything you want because you want to. That's legalism. Freedom is I willingly give my life to you, God, because I'm free. I, I'm free to worship you. I'm free to praise you. There's just a different way of approaching it. It's, it's either being dead in something or it's being alive unto God. And that's who we're going to be in this place, not trying to get it all together. See, if we ever get to the place where we're like, I don't need to repent. I don't need to be cleansed. I'm good. Like, then we've been become deceived by pride. 
We've become deceived by pride, not realizing the place where we've slipped into with that dead man. We're trying to hang around with us, right? Skip down to verse 11. Here's the theme verse where we've been in, in Romans 6. He says, in the same way that you've been baptized into Christ and you've experienced the power of his resurrection, right? He says, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Don't offer any part of yourself as an instrument uh, of sin or wickedness. Now, I don't know about you, but I would have found it a whole lot more encouraging if Paul would have wrote something like, now that you've been made alive to God and dead to sin, don't even think about sin. It won't even affect you. You don't have to worry about it. It's good. It's not going to touch you at all. Wouldn't that be a whole lot better? But that's not what he said. He actually said, make sure your decision is that you don't offer any part of your life to sin. Make sure, he says, uh, he says, don't let it rain. Don't let it have any place. Don't open the door. Don't let, it, don't let it in. You make the decision, in other words, how much sin is okay in your life, how much sin you tolerate and allow to be part of you. How much of yourself do you offer to those sinful dead things. That's what he's saying. You have the authority. But he gives us the other side, the alternative. He says, instead, offer yourselves to God. So we're not going to offer ourselves to those desires, to those dead things. We're going to offer our lives to God as those who have been brought from death to life. Offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law. You are under grace. Come on, are y'all still with me out there? Okay, I just wanted to make sure. I know, I know it, gets a, it, can, it can feel like, whoa, this is the deep end of the pool, but that's all right. No one's going to let you drown. Come on. I'll get you some little arm floaties on there, and you're going you're gonna to be okay. We, we, we've got to begin to understand and push past the surfacey spiritual stuff. We've got to push back, just, just give me a nice message and send me on my way. No, God actually wants you to grow deep in him. He wants you to have a deeper understanding like of who you are and how he sees you so that you can begin to live your life, operate in a more powerful way, a more established way, not being blown apart by everything that comes your way. Because there's going to be things that come, and some will stand and some will fall apart. But we're going to be those who we stand because we know what we're standing on. We know who we are. We have some deeper understanding of the scriptures and what it's trying to speak to us, what it's trying to help us to understand. So how do we live in this reality? How do we begin to live like tomorrow morning at work? How do we live alive to God and dead to sin? And I'm a how-to guy, and so I, I, I like to make lists of things of how I'm going to do this. So I, I want to give us four keys today of, of how we're going to begin to do this, begin to live alive to God and dead to sin. You know, uh, the supernatural part, it's already taken care of. You don't have to worry about that. According to Scripture, Jesus died, and if we believe in him and his death and resurrection, we're brought into his death. We receive the resurrection life that he has, right? The supernatural thing has already happened. It's already taking place. But according to what Paul is teaching us, we have the decisions to make. We have the say-so of how much sin is going to remain in control in us, how much sin is going to keep living in a house that it doesn't belong in. That's up to us. So how do we do this? If you're taking notes, hopefully you'll write these down. Here's the first one. If we want to live alive to God and dead to sin, it starts with an identity change. Now, I'm not talking about going down to City Hall and filling out the papers to change your name or whatever else. If you want to, do you, boo. That's great. You know, but we're talking about the identity change of, how, of who you are. How do you see yourself? If you were to put a label on yourself of who you are, what is that word? What is that label that you've associated with, you know, people in our world associate with so many different things. People associate with their gender. There's a whole big thing out there about gender right now. People associate with their favorite sports team or they associate, you know, with their uh, generational description. Well, I'm a baby boomer. I'm a millennial or I'm a Gen X or people associate with a style of music. Well, they're a grunger, you know, or they're, they're hip hop or what. Like people associate with like just about anything that's out there that's available. But what about you? How do you see yourself? What is your identity? Right, we've got to begin to understand our identity is not in earthly things. Our identity is in who God has created us to be. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 
Verse 17 says it best. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ. Is that anybody in this room? You've given your life to Jesus. Okay, that was a very underwhelming. Come on, that's a good place. If your life is in Christ, the next part is your description of who you are. It's like your Instagram byline. You have your username and then your description. This is you right here. God's Instagram description of you. The new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. Notice he didn't say one day when you're perfect, one day when you get it all right, then it will be there. No, he says it is here now. It is here today. You are new. You are not old. The old is gone. We read it. Crucified. It's dead. It's not you anymore. So that's why you need people in your life who are not just going to be like, hey, remember when we were done. No, you need people in your life who are going to surround you and call out what God has put inside of you, what you're capable of. People who are going to speak to your destiny, not just call out your history. That's why it's so powerful about being in a group or being on a team because that's what we do. We surround each other, speaking life, lifting one another up. Man, you got to get in a group if you're not on get on a team. So un we've, we've got to get this understanding of what our identity is. One of the greatest things you can discover in this life outside of knowing Jesus, like that's the greatest thing you could discover, but a close second to that, the greatest thing you could discover in this life is who you are, your identity in Christ. How sad would it be? To get to heaven one day and be standing before the throne like Eeyore. Well, I made it to church a couple times. And, you know, I loved the Lord. And I posted some scriptures. And I did my best. Gave it my, you know, good college try to serve the Lord. And, you know, I just, I just squeaked through. You know, things weren't very good all the time. But praise the Lord, you know. I was blessed, you know. How sad would it be to get to heaven and never live in the goodness, the blessing, the power, the anointing that God has freely given you already? Come on, it's time for us to rise up and begin to understand who we are. You're not what you've been through. You are new in Christ, right? The problem is, is that when people don't know their identity, they'll start trying to find it by doing anything and everything else with the hopes of identifying with something. Hopefully something will stick and I'll figure out who I am. I mean, I know growing up, like I, I struggled with this whole identity thing for so long because uh, people would say, you know, the things to me and, and I, just, I just began to believe it. Well, I must be the nerd. I must be the whatever else. And I began to identify with things like inferiority. I'm not good enough. And, and so what it did, then it drove me to do things that were out outside of my character to prove that I'm not those things because I didn't know who I was. We've got to begin to understand that in Christ, when we're talking about knowing your identity, we're talking about knowing you're standing before God. How are you? How does God see you? How, how, like, how do you relate to God? Is he the, the guy in the chair that's ready to throw lightning bolts when you mess up? Or is he the distant God just telling you what to do? How do you see God? How do you relate? It's your identity. Who are you? Right? Here's the thing I want to tell you. Is that when God sees you, the identity that he sees, he sees you through the lens of Jesus' righteousness. In other words, Jesus doesn't look at and see how, how bad you think you've convinced yourself that you are or, or whatever else. He doesn't see you through, you know, what was going on yesterday or when you lost it and blew up at the person who cut you off in traffic or whatever, you know. He doesn't see all that. He sees the righteousness of Jesus. Scripture says, 2 Corinthians goes on and says, you have become the righteousness of God in Christ. So when God sees you, it's like he's looking at Jesus. The same righteousness that Jesus has is who you have become. It's who you are. Come on, look at somebody sitting beside you and say, you're the righteousness of God in Christ. It's just that most Christians don't have this understanding. It hasn't clicked for them yet that, man, they're not what they've been through. They're not just trying to make it past that thing. No, you've been set free from that thing. You've been made righteous before God. So that means you're good with the big man. You can come boldly. Like I remember when my daughter Bella was a little girl and I was working in my office and uh, she would just come running in and just jump in my lap. But none of the people who worked for me would do that. Not just because they were adults, but because I was their boss. You know, there's just a different mentality between a boss and a dad. 
It didn't matter what was going on or who I was meeting with. Bella knew that she could come in and talk to dad. She didn't have to worry, oh, is dad mad at me? Does dad still like me? Does dad, I'm not part of the family anymore. i got to ask dad if I can be part of the family again. No, she just knew my dad loves me and I can go in and see him whenever I need something. And even if it's a big thing, I can ask him. Even still, this week, there's a big thing. She's like, dad, I need to ask you this big thing. You know. But a boss is different. When I come to the boss, you know, people would, they, people would come when Bill was little. They, you know, be like, um, excuse me, sir, can, can I talk to you about something? And then they would sit in the chair opposite me, right? Like, there's just a different approach when we see God as a boss or something. Like, listen, you are his son. You are his daughter. We've got to realize and begin to let our identity be changed from all the things of this world to now being part of Christ. Uh, I think about professional sports. I, I love to watch sports um, of just about any kind, um, but especially right now, professional football, college football, all those kinds of things. And when you get into the professional sports, there's, there's athletes that are changing teams all the time. Uh, I think of one, one guy recently who changed teams, a guy named Tom Brady. Anybody know Tom Brady? Uh, for years, for his whole career, uh, he was the quarterback for the New England Patriots up in, in the Boston area, won a lot of championships, became the GOAT, became famous, became, you know, the winningest quarterback of, of Super Bowls and all that kind of stuff. And people would wear his jerseys, 12 coming in, the Patriots, all, like it was just the Patriot thing. But then came the day when Tom was like, I'm going to Tampa. He changed teams, different colors, different jersey, different everything. And I remember that day, people that burned their Tom Brady jersey and all that kind of stuff. That's not who we are, you know. Tom is now wearing a different jersey, a different team. He's the Tampa Bay Buccaneers quarterback. And he won a Super Bowl with them too, whatever. Tom, I am not, like, I'm a Green Bay Packers fan. Um, that's right, I have a cheese set at home. Uh, I wear it during the games. But imagine for him, if we would, can we all put on our, our, our imagination caps for a minute? If Tom Brady came out on Sunday to play for quarterback for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, you're ready to run out the tunnel onto the field, and he runs out wearing his New England Patriots uniform. Can you imagine being the fan in the stand who's wearing the Tampa Bay Tom jersey and be like, what's happening? Like, it, it would be confusing. It would, like the players, like if I was, I'd be like, bro, what, what are you doing here? Like you would all of a sudden lose confidence in Tom, right? And the officials wouldn't even let him play because he's not wearing the right uniform. The, the people would be like, what's happening? And, and sometimes that's how Christians are when we choose to live in our sin and keep the dead things around. It's like we're still wearing our old Tampa Bay, uh, our old New England jersey when we're supposed to be playing for Tampa Bay. And then we wonder why people look at our lives and they're confused. Like, I don't think you know what God is all about. About be, I can't tell because you're a little different than me. I mean, you go to church, but we listen to the same music and watch the same shows and cuss the same, drink the same things and all. It's, it's just realizing your identity has changed. And it's not to say, like, you can never, like, be with people. Like, listen, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm just saying your identity has changed. It's not who you are anymore. Like, we're called to live differently. Here's the next key to living alive to God and dead to sin. It not only requires an identity change, but it requires a, a mindset change, a new way of thinking. Did you know your mind is powerful? That not only like is your, your brain is so powerful, uh, you can do all the, you look up like all the millions of calculations and processes your brain is doing every second. Like it's amazing. And at the same time, we have a physical brain, like the chemistry of your brain. You also have this part of you that is like the thinking, the thoughts that come at you. It's part of your soulish part of your, your existence, like thoughts coming at you. And your thoughts are equally as powerful as your brain. In fact, the two things, your physical brain and your thoughts, your soul, interact with each other. And it's been scientifically proven that the thoughts that you think will actually change the chemistry of your brain and how it's shaped and how everything connects. It's a scientifically proven fact. And, of course, we know this. Science didn't create that. Science just proves what God has already said. Proverbs chapter 23, verse 7 says in the New King James Version, As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. 
As you think in your heart, as you begin to believe about yourself, so it will become. In other words, your thoughts direct your life. The way you think about all the time will come out in your life in one way or the other. So when you think you can't, you're right. But if you think you can, you're also right. The thoughts you think about are going to direct our lives. And the good news is, is you are not stuck. You are not relegated to the thoughts that are coming at you all the time, that that's all there will ever be. Scripture tells us, 2 Corinthians 10 gives us the, the, the prescription on how to take control of our thoughts, how to take every thought captive and make it obedient to what we know about Christ, of who we are. Like your thoughts don't run who you are. Your thoughts don't decide what you can and can't do you do they're just thoughts they don't control you but you've got to take authority over the thoughts coming in your mind that means I'm not just going to allow just anything to come in my mind if a lustful thought comes at me I'm not just going to continue to sit there and think on and think of like I don't know anybody who wakes up and says you know what I want to be addicted to pornography today but how do people get addicted to pornography every day well they wake up and they they didn't deal with that first lustful thought that came when that person was running down the street in their little skimpy outfit or whatever, they, instead of looking the other way, you know, like, and please don't be that person, whether man or woman, you know what I'm saying? When a thought comes, like, the thought coming, like, it just happens to all of us. You're not going to stop thoughts coming, but you can stop, am I going to think about it again? And again, and am I going to think about it later? And I'm going to think about, oh, uh, what if we don't have enough money? What if, what if I'm not good enough? What if I can't make it? What if I'm just, what if, what if just, just, I'm overwhelmed in my mind and I just can't keep it together? Like you get to choose the thoughts that you repetitively think about and you can decide I'm not going to think about that anymore. That thought doesn't belong in me anymore. You have the authority. I know that person said mean things about you but that doesn't mean you need to continue to think about it. They're probably not thinking about you anymore. You know what I mean? I know that, I, I, I know all of that stuff that happens, yeah, uh, but, but you can change. Let me show you in Scripture, Romans chapter 12, verse 2. It says, don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person. Here's the process of transformation. How? By making you behave better. Come on, don't let me get away with stuff. But he didn't say that. He said by making sure that you don't do anything wrong again. No, he says he's going to transform you into this new person by changing the way you think. That's the process of transformation. This is called renewing your mind. And it's not just like... Don't think about bad things. Please don't think about bad things. No, like there's actually a promise attached to it. Look what he says. When you begin to change your thinking, right, when you begin to think according to the word of God, he says, then you will learn to know God's will for your life. You want to know God's will for your life? It's time to renew our minds. It's time to get rid of some stinking thinking and get a, neck, a checkup from the neck up. Right? You will learn to know God's will for your life, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. God's will is not bad for you. God has good plans for your life. He is a good father. So the process of transforming our life, of us breaking out of destructive patterns, of us breaking out of controlling cycles of fear and inferiority and doubt, it begins with changing our thinking, of renewing our mind. And it's not just trying to think about happy thoughts like, oh, I'm going to think about a field full of flowers. No, that's great. But it's beginning to think about what God says, what is truth, what is reality, not just what is thought is coming into my head. If I'll begin to stop thinking about those things and begin to think about what God's word says, like if you've been thinking that you're broken, it's time to begin to start thinking that you're healed through the stripes of Jesus. Isaiah chapter 53, I've been healed by the stripes of Jesus. He took every punishment for me so that I could experience wholeness. If you've been thinking that your mind is unhealthy or imbalanced or unstable, stop thinking that and start thinking, I have the mind of Christ. Start thinking that God has not given me fear, but God has given me his power, his love, and a sound or a whole mind. If you've been thinking, I can't do, God, what you've called me to do, I don't have what it take. Start thinking Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. If you've been thinking that you don't ever have enough and there's always lack, start thinking that God is your provider. Jehovah Jireh, the God who sees ahead and provides. Start thinking that God will supply all of my need according to his riches and glory. Start thinking that God will give me abundance for every good work. See, you can choose what you want to think about. We've got to begin to renew our mind. And it's just going to take a conscious decision on your part. 
I can remind you, you know, like I'll preach it to you, but you're with you 100% of the time. So you've got to make the decision, today I will renew my mind. And when that thought comes, when fear tries to overwhelm, no, I do not have a spirit of fear. God never gives me fear. God gives me power, power to stand up and tell you fear, get out of my life. You don't have to know it all. And if you don't know where to find it in the Bible, y'all, we have the most amount of tools to find whatever you need in the Bible than ever in history. Get on Google, text a friend, phone a friend. You know what I'm saying? Like there is no shame in that game. That is the enemy. That is the devil trying to keep you from the promises of God. Do whatever it takes to get in the promises. And if you don't know, ask somebody. And if anybody here looks at you funny for asking you, let me know. We're not going to look at anybody that doesn't know, like, because all of us have been in that place. And if you are blessed enough to have known the word a little bit longer, then that just means God has entrusted you with more to help someone else rise up to where they know some more. You can live in victory. You can have a life of faith that pleases God. And you can know the will of God if we will begin to change our thinking. Here's the third key to living alive to God and dead to sin is choose obedience to God's word. Now, obedience is not a popular topic because it's all about control. <laughs> if you're going to obey something. But, uh, you know, the truth is you are obeying one of two things. According to what scripture is teaching us. You're either obeying the sinful desires or you're obeying God's word, which leads to righteousness. Let me show you in scripture, Romans chapter 16. We're going to continue in this text. Uh, skip down to verse 15. He says, what then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law anymore? We've been, we're under grace. Here he says it again. Absolutely not. By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourself to someone as an obedient slave, when you obey something, you are slaves of the one you obey? And here's the two choices. Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or you're slave to obedience, which leads to righteousness. So you get to decide. No one's going to twist your arm. No one's going to make you. But it's just, it's just the answer to the test is right there. One leads to death. One leads to righteousness and life. I know which one I want to choose. And it doesn't make it easy because obedience is, it involves saying, God, your way is better than mine. God, I don't know it all. God, what do you want from me here in this today? And then when God speaks, like, okay, I'm willing to do that. Okay, God, I, I, I don't understand how when I give my tithes that I'm actually blessed with more. Like, but if you tell me to do it, I will do it. Like, it's choosing obedience to God's word. Like when scripture says, let no corrupt communication, let no uh, come out of your mouth. Okay, God, that's a really hard one sometimes, but I will choose obedience, you know. And, and that's where God's grace comes in because then when something does come out of your mouth, it's like, I missed it. Okay, God, I'm not going to continue in that. See, there's always that fork in the road. You can continue in those ways. And that leads to a lifestyle of sin, which always leads to separation from God. Sin leads to death. But when we come to God, God, I missed it. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your grace. Like, that's the difference. Right? It's living holy, right? Living righteous. So he goes on, he says, look, he says, one leads to death, one leads to life and righteousness. But thanks be to God. Come on, thanks be to God that though you used to be a slave to sin, you have come to obey from the heart the pattern of teaching which has now claimed your allegiance. You have been, here it is again, set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. So when we choose to obey God's word, it always leads to righteousness. It always leads to that place where we're standing clean before God, that place where we can live this way. As, we are, as we're taught God's word, as we live, Learn to understand scripture in deeper ways. He says it will lead to obedience. It will lead us to places of righteousness where we're being transformed. Skip down to verse 23. We see the end of this, this, this part that Paul's talking to us. He says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let me say it this way. Anything past death is a gift from God. Any, we deserve death. The wages of sin, we were, we were helpless. We were stuck in sin. We deserved death. 
but God is good, the gift of God in his mercy. See, mercy is not getting what you deserve. You deserve the punishment of hell and separation from God because of our sins, but God said, I'm gonna have mercy on you. I'm not gonna give you what you deserve because of your faith in the death and the resurrection of his son, Jesus. I'm gonna give you grace instead. Grace is getting something you don't deserve. You don't deserve the favor of God. You don't deserve life, but God says, I'm gonna give it to you because I'm a God of grace. He extends his grace to us in, in, in every area of our lives. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that no one would perish, but every person could have everlasting life. God is a God of grace for us. That's why he says you're not under sin anymore. You are in grace. Grace is something you can't earn, you didn't deserve. It is the gift of God for you. God is a good God. There is no comparison between obedience to God and his word to what the deadness of sin could offer. I know they try to make it appealing, and it might, might be for a moment, but it never lasts. God's grace never runs out. The righteousness never ends. Come on. Joy, unspeakable. Like it just, there's no comparison for what is produced in the presence of God versus what is produced in a dead place of sin. We're talking about uh, how we live alive to God and dead to sin. Number one, it starts with an identity change. Two, it requires a, a, a mindset change, renewing our mind. Number three, we choose obedience to the word. Here's the last one today. If we want to choose to live alive to God and dead to sin, it requires us to surrender everything. Tough one, I know, but let me tell you, God leads us to life through surrender. The devil deceives with pride. God leads us to life through surrender. Even the way that we receive salvation is giving our lives to him, surrendering and saying, God, I can't do this. I need you in my life. I give my life to Jesus, right? It's surrender of our lives to him, right? It's, it's this place of saying, God, I, I need you to change me. When I don't understand what you're asking of me, when I don't understand how this is meant to work, how, why is it okay to forgive the unforgivable? God, how can I do that? I don't understand it. I can't explain it with my mind, but God, I choose to surrender my will to yours. I choose to give you the benefit of the doubt. When we don't understand what God is up to or what he asks us to do, it's not him who needs to change, it's us. It's just us, like we're the ones that have to change. And I think, uh, you know, a, a scared and fearful world needs less Christians with opinions and more Christians who live in surrender. The world needs less Christians on their phones and social media, more Christians at the altar. Less Christians who think they've got it all together and more Christians being cleansed every day. Like that's the life of surrender. I love what the Apostle Paul writes about the process of surrender. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, he says, Therefore I urge you, I plead with you, I beg you. In other words, if you'll choose this, man, amazing things will happen. It, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, we just, we just learned what God's mercy does. In, in light of what God has done, rescued you from sin, made you alive in him, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. In other words, I'm urging you, I'm pleading with you, like some will, some will take me up, but some won't. Offer yourselves everything as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. For this is true and proper worship. In other words, if we're not willing to lay down our lives, sacrifice everything, then are we really worshiping? See, worship is not a song that we sing. It's just an expression of our worship. Worship is a thing, an attitude of the heart that comes out of us when we're willingly lay our life down on the altar. See, an altar... In just a moment, we're going to have an altar call. An altar was a place, it was, it was a, a thing made of earth or wood or stone that people would build. It was a place where they would come to worship and bring something to die. They would bring something to sacrifice, to die on the altar, to say, God, you are great and I'm nothing without you. That's what's so powerful about the altar. I'm going to ask my friend Tiller to come down here. Um, I, my friend Taylor. I'm going to make him a smoothie. Anybody like smoothie? Smoothies? Come on, anybody else? I brought a little smoothie this morning. Got some good things. Give it up for my friend Tiller right here coming up here. What's up, bud? Thanks for helping me today. I always, I always looked up to you. 
You like that? That was a good one. You like smoothies? I got some good stuff here today. See, what happens is when we uh, receive Christ, we start getting some good things in our lives. I got some strawberries and some, uh, uh, let's see, what are those, blueberries, some antioxidants in there. We start praying. We start reading our Bible. Come on, that's good stuff, right? And then we start adding some, like, raspberries. You're not allergic to anything, are you? Okay, good. Got some raspberries and some blackberries. We've been coming to church. We've been giving a little bit, getting involved. I got some bananas right here. Got those in there. We've been, you know, praying a little bit, staying up. And, and then I got some orange juice and just we've been showing people, like, you got to see how good God is in our lives. Man, can you open that for me? It's amazing all the good things that start being added into our life. We've even, go ahead, let's pour that in. We started serving at church a little bit and, and, and helping out and maybe even getting crazy and serving in kids or with the youth. And that's awesome. And so then when that happens, things start getting... God starts mixing things up and things start getting exciting and all of a sudden this is going to be good. Come on. I even brought a little spoon. I'm going to try this right here. Then we're like, man, look what look what God is doing in my life. This is so good. Like you can't even believe it. You got to taste and see how good God is. This is awesome. Look what God is doing in my life. I used to be a mess. I was falling apart. I didn't know what to do. But then, man, God came in my life and look at the direction my my life is said it's amazing but then you know what happens so often is that the devil comes along and I think sometimes we're not even really aware of what the devil does like his schemes right I, I, when, when God is doing all this new stuff you got to realize the devil is powerless to stop what God wants to do in your life he, he can't get in there and, and, and take things out like it's like it's all in there it's mixed up it's gonna be there like the devil can't take things out but what he does like to do is he likes to come in and add an ingredient how many of you know something that was good before with good stuff in it if you add one ingredient that doesn't belong the whole thing is wrong I brought some ingredients today I need this glove to get this ingredient I definitely want this glove this glove will be vital. I have a dog, and I went out to the backyard, and I... <coughs> you want to smell this? <coughs> Anybody else have a dog? I went out to the backyard and got a, little, got a little ingredient to add. So the question I want to ask today is, how much sin is an okay amount to have in our lives? How much pride is an okay amount to have in our lives when we puff ourselves up on Instagram? How much, how much anger is okay to shout at our kids is an okay amount? How much, how much jealousy towards somebody else is an okay amount to have in our lives? I mean, I could just take a little bit of this. <laughs> you, don't do it? You feeling, feeling brave today? It's, it's just a little bit. Don't worry. It's not going to be that much. Just a little bit of pride. It's just a, just a couple four-letter words. It's just a sex scene in a show, but it doesn't bother me. It doesn't affect me. It's just, it's just a little bit. It's okay. And then it gets in there. And maybe you can't even see it, but you know what? Then we're like, you got to taste and see how good God is. Like, God is so good, and, you, you know, like, we're out there, and it's like, this is so good. Like, you know, like, are you, are you thirsty? I mean, look at how good it is. Come on. That is a good smoothie right there. Sure, go for it. How is it? Pretty good pretty good. That's pretty good. And I'm just lying to you guys. We're just pretending that's not really dog poop. Somebody's like, I'm never coming back here. They're drinking poop in that church. It's really not poop. But sometimes this is our life. Like we're trying to have a little bit of deadness in our lives and we're pretending like it's good. Everything's fine. We try to, try to polish it up and it's still a turd. It's just a polished turd now. And it really like there's no life in it. And God is saying, you're not in that anymore. Why are you pretending that it's still good? There's nothing in it for you. 
There's nothing in it for you. And then we, then we get mad when people don't want to partake of what we have because they can see the poop that's in there and they can smell it and it doesn't smell good. And we're like, don't you want part of this? And they're like, I want no part of that. People are looking for something that's real, not something that's dead. They already have dead. That's why they're coming here. That's why they're looking for something else. And when they don't find it, that's why they go look there and they go look there and they go look there because they're looking for life. People aren't, look, I, I don't believe that people are trying to reject Jesus. They're just rejecting a, a packaging that says it's one thing and it's not. Scripture says in the last days, people would have the form of godliness and deny the power. They would have a nice appearance, but they'd be full of poop on the inside. Today is a day that I'm, I'm just like, like I'm done with those things in my life. And I'm calling us as a church, like this is a season for us as a church to rise up and begin to realize like, I'm not a dead man walking anymore. I am alive in Christ. And there's some things in my life that need to be brought to the altar, that need to be, that need to be put to death, that have no more part of me. So come on, let's get to our feet today. I believe God wants to do something in each and every one of us in this place. Thank you for listening to the Victory Orlando Church Podcast. We hope today's message helps you take another step closer to knowing God and finding freedom through His Word.